my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flowing go down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature that were a present far too small, loved so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my seated. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see y'all. Where's all this rain that we were supposed to have? I guess it'll come in. It's good time, right? It's not the cave. So this morning we are on um, the fourth of our, don't need it anyway, not right now, I'll get it later, that's okay. Um, Fourth session, have one more next week that we're going to be talking about the, um, the application of the cross in our daily lives, and I think it's going to be very, very practical. This morning we're going to talk about the achievement of the cross. You know, what did the cross achieve when Christ died for us? Okay. Now, we're going to be looking at it in four different parts. I'm going to tell you right now that uh, we probably need at least two weeks on each of the four parts, and we're going to do all four of them this morning. So when we talk about survey, we're talking about a survey of a survey this morning. Okay. But this is the time that we've been given, and hopefully it'll just kind of whet our appetite to look to look further. You know, sometimes we, um, when we think of the cross, we think of of our salvation when we died, when he, when we put our faith in Christ, and and His victory on the cross was credited to us. Um, but the the cross lives with us every single day 
of our lives, and I believe will for, for every day throughout eternity. Yeah. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And if we just stop and think about that, a man dying on the cross 2,000 years ago, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense that that would have any impact on our lives today, and yet we know better. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is what? It is the power of God. God's power is released through the cross, okay? What happened on the cross impacts every area of our life. The cross is the power of God in our salvation. The cross is the power of God in our everyday walk. Everything, every decision that we make throughout the day can, can be, should be empowered by the cross. The cross is the power of God at work in our predestination, calling, justification, and glorification. The cross is the power of God to sustain us and to keep us fruitful to the end. How are we going to make it between now and the time that God calls us home? How are we going to be faithful? How are we going to know that we're not going to stumble and fall we know that because of the power of the cross. The power of the cross that's released into our lives by faith. Okay? The power of the cross will sustain us faithful to the end. And the cross is the power of God that will grant us acceptance into glory, into heaven. And then I believe in, the, in, in, in heaven, in glory, even there the cross is going to be uh, blessing us and encouraging us. Okay, so so far we have traced the steps and the needs in our lives that have, have led up to Christ dying on the cross, okay? What happened on the cross, um, and now, we looked at what happened on the cross, and now we want to look at what the cross has actually accomplished in the lives of, of us as believers. When Christ died and was raised from the death, a new day and a new age was ushered in, okay? An age of grace, an age when we now have the, the power of the Holy Spirit living in our lives to give us the, the strength and the grace that we need to live day by day. So the salvation story can sometimes be best understood in breaking it down into four different categories, and that's what we want to do this morning. We want to look at propitiation and what this means and how this impacts our lives. We want to look at redemption, at justification, and reconciliation. Okay, now, like I say, each of these are as deep as, as could possibly be um, studied over, over a period of many months, each one of them. But we have the time that we have this morning. The foundation for each of these four is laid in what we have been talking about the last three weeks, and that is the substitutionary atonement of Christ. Without the substitutionary atonement of Christ, we have nothing spiritually, okay? But in Christ, 
Um, and in his death and in his resurrection, we have been freed from, from sin. And we have these areas of salvation that um, will encourage us and minister to us. So this morning we're going to look at the four categories. The first one we're going to talk about is propitiation. That's a big word, and we use it a lot around here, and we're going to see if we have to get a, a fairly decent understanding quickly this morning. By way of definition and application, to propitiate someone means that we appease or pacify their anger. Okay? That is to say, by receiving the full exercise of the Father's wrath against sin of his people, Christ satisfied, that's a key word, Christ satisfied God's righteous anger against sin and thus turned it away, turned uh, this wrath away from us. Back in Ezekiel 18, God says, the soul that sins must die. God's judgment on all sin is death. Okay? Now, God will, God will, that, that death will be served either to us personally if we are not in Christ or if we are in Christ, he is our substitute, will take that upon us, upon himself, okay? It's Christ who satisfied God's righteous anger. Your anger and my anger is not righteous because it's self-willed, you know, and it's self-determined, but God's anger is holy and it's righteous, But so it's God who must be propitiated because of man's sin. Okay, God has got to be satisfied. A couple of New Testament scriptures that speak directly to propitiation are listed there. First one, Romans 3, 24 and 25 says, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. On the cross, God displayed Christ as his acceptable sacrifice, okay? Many sacrifices can be offered up. The ghost family has arrived. Okay, good, good to see y'all. Okay, my train of thought just left, but I had to get excited about seeing them. It was in Christ that, that God's wrath was propitiated. He completely, uh, he judged our sins in Christ. Let me put it that way. First John 2, 1 through, 2, 1 through 2, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is a propitiation for our sins. He himself is the satisfaction. Okay? Now, all through we can offer sacrifices to God, but if they're not acceptable by him, we gain nothing. Christ is the only sacrifice that can be offered that's acceptable. Okay? First John 4.10 says, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son, why? To be a propitiation for our sins to be a sacrifice, to be an acceptable sacrifice. 
The reason why propitiation is necessary is that sin aroused God's holy, just wrath. This does not mean that he loses his temper. There is nothing capricious or arbitrary about God. His anger is never malicious, it's never spiteful, it's never vindictive as ours can be. Okay? But God's anger is his settled opposition to everything that is sin. And he responds to that out of his character, okay? not out of anger, not out of um, maliciousness, but out of uh, response to it according to his anger. Nothing that we do or say or offer or even can even contribute. Um, let me start try it over again. I'm sorry. Nothing we can do, say, offer, or even contribute uh, will compensate for the sins and turns away God's wrath. The initiative for propitiation has been taken by God Himself. It is God's holy wrath which needs to be propitiated. And it is God's love which does the propitiation. In Pauline thought, man is alienated from God by sin. And God is alienated uh, from man by wrath. Okay? It is in the substitutionary death of Christ that sin is overcome and wrath is averted. So that God can look on man without displeasure and man can look on God without fear. Sinful man, because of Christ, because of that atonement, because of his sacrifice, because of God's forgiveness, we can look on God without fear. We can look on him as our father, knowing that we have full acceptance uh, in himself. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, uh, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay? When God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees we are accepted, we're loved, we're welcomed as his child. On Sundays, we often sing a chorus, Jesus, thank you. If you remember that, there's one phrase that I really love in that song. And it says that the Father's wrath completely satisfied Jesus, thank you. That's propitiation. God looks on the sacrifice Jesus offered and is, he judges that he is completely satisfied. You know, but the only Greek word I know is to tell us I have to drop it every now and then. It means it is finished, okay? And I used to think, well, yeah, that says, he said that on the cross and he's saying that his ministry is finished. That's true. But it's also telling us that that, 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 that propitiation is finished, that God's totally satisfied. God needs nothing else, nothing else but Christ in order to be satisfied. Because of the cross, God is propitiated and because of that, man must be redeemed. And that's the second thing we want to look at this morning. Redemption. 
you can use the substitute the word ransom. To be redeemed is to be ransomed. Or to buy or buy back as a purchase or a ransom. It's a process involving release of payment, release by payment of a ransom price. And that price is often very costly. Okay. It's an act of rescue. It's a removal of enmity between God and man that is incited by the sin. New Testament uh, scriptures that speak to redemption, there's three of them we want to look at just quickly. Keeping in mind that redemption is the idea of buying back, of redeeming with the, with the payment of a, of, a, of a penalty, released through payment of First Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, knowing that we were not redeemed, it's redemption, with perishable things such as silver and gold from your feudal way inherited from your forefathers, but what with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. The payment that Christ had to pay was not gold and silver, it wasn't anything that he could give other than his own life. And what more could he give? You know, we, God gave the, the greatest thing, price. God paid the greatest price that he could have paid in giving us himself. Okay. He says the, the, the precious blood of a lamb, the, the blood of a horse represents the, the, uh, the life Old Testament says that life is in the blood. And it was unblemished. The lamb was unblemished and spotless. The very blood of Christ. You know, in the Old Testament, when they were uh, offering the, uh, making the offerings of the lambs, they had to select ones that were unblemished and spotless. They had to say, give a lamb that was as close to perfection as it could possibly be. You couldn't take a sick lamb and give it to God and expect him to accept it. But we were redeemed with the blood, the, the very life of Christ himself. A costly price. And Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Okay. Only Christ could, could, de could redeem because only Christ um, can forgive sins. Right? He rescued us. He transferred us into his kingdom. And in that kingdom, we have forgiveness and we have redemption. Okay. Matthew 20, 28 says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and what? To give his life a ransom for many. We are, we are ransomed only because of the offering of Christ. Okay, we are redeemed. How are we redeemed? We're redeemed at salvation and that we are rescued from the penalty and the guilt of sin. That's an accomplished fact for believers. In our daily walk, we are rescued from the power of sin over the flesh. As we walk obediently, filled with the Spirit, we can walk in, in, 
victory over sin in our lives. And at the final glorification, we will be rescued from the presence of sin. And that's when we can shout hallelujah forever. We no longer will have to deal with any sin in our life. The imagery invoked in the idea of redemption is that we are held in captivity from which only the payment of a ransom can set us free. And that ransom is nothing less than Messiah's own life. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, through his life, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. By grace you are saved through faith, right? And that not of yourself is a gift of God. Through the riches of his grace we are redeemed. So what does the scripture tell us about the need of redemption, the price of redemption, and in fact the redeemer himself? Well, we see number one, the need of redemption is because of bondage, bondage because of, of sinful man. Romans 3.10 says, there is none righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need to be redeemed. We cannot buy ourselves back. We cannot deliver ourselves. Only one can do that, and that's Christ Jesus. How about the purchase price? We said that the price was often costly. In our case, it's the precious blood of the spotted, of a spotless lamb. First Peter 1 Peter 1.18, we're going to look at that again. You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. We keep coming back and back to that um, verse tells us so much and 1 Corinthians 6.20 says you have been bought with a price right therefore glorify God in your body okay so we look at the um, the need for redemption the purchase price of redemption the redeemer himself again we've said is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world one of the most beautiful pictures I think in the Old Testament is that of a kinsman redeemer. And if you're not familiar with it, some time spent in the book of Ruth will really help you to understand uh, what God is setting forth there. The Lamb of God is our redeemer. The, uh, John 1, 29 says, the Lamb of, talks about the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know, in the Old Testament time, God made provisions for the blood to, to cover the sin until such time as the Messiah would come. But John is saying, okay, at last, here is the Lamb of God, the true Lamb of God, the acceptable Lamb of God, and he's not going to just cover the sins, but he's going to take them away from us. He's going to remove them from us. Hebrews 12, excuse me, Hebrews 9, 12 says, through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. The lambs in the Old Testament had to be offered daily, didn't they? It must have been a bloodbath. I mean, it must have been unbelievable to see what they had to go through with every day in the temple. 
And I think that was a picture of, of just how, how bad our sin was. But now Christ has offered one sin, one sacrifice for sin, once for all, and he's, he secured eternal redemption for us. So because of the cross, God is propitiated, man is redeemed, and man is justified. The third thing we'll look at is the justification. When we think of justification, we have to think of a, a law, a court, a court of law. Okay? Um, in that, justification is God declaring us holy, God declaring us, declaring us forgiven, okay? It's the verdict of a judge who pronounces not guilty. In propitiation, the wrath of God is appeased. In redemption, we have, we are rescued from the uh, captivity to sin and guilt at the high price of Christ's shed blood. Thinking in terms of justification, forgiveness first off, remits our debts and cancels our liability for punishment. But then that's only one side of the coin. Justification bestows on us a righteous standing before God. We need to be forgiven for sure. We need to be forgiven of our sins. But that's like I say, one side of the coin. We also need to have the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. In justification, we become immediately holy and completely what God declares us to be. We enjoy the righteous status which he has conferred on us. Colossians 1.22 says that God sees us as holy and blameless and beyond reproach. What a tremendous blessing. Okay. It's just because of being justified in Christ. What's the source of our justification? Well, Scripture tells us it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God, his utterly undeserved favor. And no one can, come, can declare themselves righteous in God's sight. Only Christ can do this. Romans 3 and 8 speaks, says, all have sinned. But then it says, being justified as a gift by his grace. Justification is not anything that we can deserve, anything that we can, can work out for ourselves. It's something that is given to us as a gift. And God, of course, is the one who bestows that gift. He's the one who will justify us. What's the ground of our justification? The source is the grace. The ground of our justification is his blood. And again, that speaks of forgiveness. God is just in declaring sinners legally righteous, free from any liability to the broken law, because he himself in his son has borne the penalty of our law breaking. Does that make sense? If you sin against me, I can forgive you pretty easily without requiring a penalty from you. God's law says that a person who dies, if a person who sins must die, 
we're saying here that he can forgive us because that death has taken place on our behalf. He is righteous. He is... Uh, can't get the word off. He, he is just and, and forgiving because that penalty has already been paid by our substitute. If we're ready to go with that. Verse Peter again, 1, 18 and 19. You were redeemed with precious blood as of a lamb. Okay. And what is the means of our justification? Okay. The means of our justification is faith, which of course is a gift of God. Quote there from um, John Stott says, God justifies the believing man, yet not for the worthiness of his belief, but for his worthiness who is believed. Kind of an awkward statement, but if you think about it. God justifies the believing man not on the worthiness of our belief, not on the, the merits of my faith, but on the worthiness of the one who's we're believing. It's not man's faith, but it's the object of that faith that will save us. You know, we think we are, um, our faith is little, and maybe it is, you know. That's okay. What's the object of our faith? What's the old saying? You, um, uh, you can, you can be safe. You know, it has to do with thin ice and thick ice. What is it? Well, I'm sorry, I lost it. Okay, so we're God. Our our faith is in is strong because of the object of that. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace you are saved, again, through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of us out of works, so that no one may boast. Romans 3, 28 brings it down, he says, we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the law. Okay? And of course, as we saw in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that faith, even that faith, is a gift from God. It's not something that we have to work up and develop ourselves. It is a gift of God. So how about the effects of justification? Well, the effects of justification are a personal, the effect of it would be a personal relationship with Christ. Okay? And justification, we're taken out of the courtroom and we're put into, into the home of our Father, and we're justified. To say that we are justified, this, this was a, is an important thing. To say that we are justified through Christ points to his historical death. Okay? To say that we are justified in Christ points to the personal relationship with him, which by faith we now enjoy. We are justified in him. We are in him. He is in us. To be justified in Christ means that justification 
cannot be isolated to our cannot be isolated from our unity with Christ and all the benefits of Romans 6. Romans 6 is a beautiful passage if you're not familiar with it. It's worthy of some time that we are united with him in his death and his burial and his resurrection. There's that union there that, um, that we have as a result of being in him and he is in us. Romans 3.13 says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Okay? Romans 3 talks about our alienation from God, how sin has alienated us. And now he says, through justification, we are brought near. We can live uh, with our Christ. And 1 Corinthians 1 9 says, God is faithful through whom we were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God has actually called us into a living, vital relationship with Christ where we can share his life, where he can, can um, impact our lives every day through the, through the uh, sanctification process that he calls us to. We are called into fellowship. So because of the grace, because of the cross, God is propitiated, man is redeemed, justified, and man is reconciled. This is probably one of the sweetest of all the four um, because it's the restoration of a fellowship with God that man has not been able to have up to this point. To reconcile means to restore a relationship. An original relationship is presupposed, which having been broken, has been uh, recovered by Christ. Okay? It's the restoration. When sin entered, there was a gap between God and man. Your sins have separated between you and God, uh, uh, Isaiah tells us. But we can be reconciled through Christ and have that relationship restored. Key, though, the biblical gospel of reconciliation begins with reconciliation to God and then continues with a re uh, reconciliation in the community of Christ. Okay. Our reconciliation has to start with God. We have to be right with him. Um, Romans 5.11 says, We exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. We exalt in God through Christ. Romans 5.1, Having been justified by faith, we have peace, which is reconciliation, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the reconciliation of man has to be first off with Christ, first off with God the Father. Before we can be reconciled to our brothers and sisters, we have to be right with God. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. It was the Father's good pleasure that all fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross. You can imagine the beauty 
and the joy that we have in having peace with God. Scripture talks about there are those who at the day and time will cry for the mountains to cover them because they're faced with holy God. But we have made peace. If we're a believer, we have made peace with God. And we have that peace to enjoy through Christ Jesus. A couple of benefits that we enjoy as a result of reconciliation, we don't have time to really get into them this morning, but one is our adoption as sons, and the other is our access to the Father. We spent several weeks, some months ago, looking at, at adoption and what it means to be considered God's son. It's a blessing beyond compare. And these, the, the adoption and the, uh, and the access to the Father, bear witness of the new relationship that we have with God. In the Old Testament days, the temple was the um, was where God dwelt, and the most convicting part of the temple was the fact that there was a there was a, uh, a veil which separated God and man. Man could only come so close to God. And that veil stood between he and God. But, of course, when, when Christ was resurrected, when he was offered up, that veil was removed. It was torn in two from top to bottom. Man has access now to God. Yeah. Uh, Hebrews says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Okay. So reconciliation with God is, 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 is a great benefit. You know, we have, not that, that you have uh, spats with your spouse, I wouldn't want you to think, but you know how sweet it is, a spouse or a friend, and we get at odds with them. How sweet this reconciliation of being one with them and how much sweeter it is with God the Father. Completely restored. Scripture tells us that, um, let's look at 2 Corinthians 5 for just a minute. 2 Corinthians 5, and we go look at 18 through 21. These are some beautiful verses concerning reconciliation. Verse 18 says, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled, there's a key word, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we may become the righteousness of God in him. So what does the scriptures here tell us about the author of reconciliation? It says all things are from God who reconciled us to himself, right? God is the initiator. God takes the, takes the initiation. God takes the initiative 
to pay the price to reconcile us, but make us at peace with himself. And this passage identifies God's part in our reconciliation. He's the initiator. What else does it tell us? It tells us that God reconciles sinful man to himself. Sinful man is reconciled. God gives and shares the ministry of reconciliation with us. It doesn't just stop with God. He equips us to be able to, sh- to, to reach out to others. You know, we said a few minutes ago that we have to be first reconciled to God and then to our brothers and sisters. That's part of this recon- ministry of reconciliation that he gives us. Then God appeals to the sinner through us. God appealing through us to others to be reconciled. And then in the verse that we all know well, 21, God makes Christ to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay. God has called us to a ministry of reconciliation. You know, we have um, trained counselors in the church that help work reconciliation in families and individual lives, but each one of us is called to do that. God equips each one of us through the word of God to be a counselor, to be an encourager. In this reconciliation, man has nothing to offer in God's plan of reconciliation. We've heard uh, Dan, Brother Dan, quote something similar to this in the past in his sermons, but William Temple says that reconciliation is all of God, the only thing of my very own which I contribute to my redemption is the sin which I need to, from which I need to be redeemed. We come to God, we don't have to come to God with all of the answers. All we have to do is to come to God with all the problems and be open and be transparent and ask God to work in our lives. In our lives, redeeming us to himself, restoring our relationship with him, and then to others. Christ is an agent of redemption. Chapter 5, verse 18 says, um, he reconciled us to himself through Christ. You know, that's what we've been talking about uh, this morning, being reconciled to God, uh, being propitiated through the, the death of Christ. God reconciled the world through Christ, but God also was also in Christ, indicating the Father's personal personal presence in Christ as he did his work. God was in Christ reconciling the world. At some time we attempted to think of God the Father as this stern judge in heaven who's, you know, we have to have this intermediary of Christ to you know, soften the blow, so to speak. That's not it at all. God the Father initiates salvation. God the Father sent his son. It is God who loves us, who initiates these things. We are ambassadors for Christ. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That's to each one of us, the word of reconciliation, that we can take the word of God the power of the Holy Spirit, and we can share it with our brothers and sisters in Christ to, um, to encourage them. Then 
the message of reconciliation um, is in this is in this passage. First off, and this will be some repeat of some of the things. God is the one who reconciles. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God reconciled us through Christ. God does not count our trespasses against us. God does not count our trespasses against us. And God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God has given us the word of reconciliation and made us ambassadors. What a joy it is to, again, to understand the peace that we have with Christ. Uh, is it John 14 that says, um, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. We have the peace of Christ. So, so four facets of our salvation and we've just had to run through them so fast this morning. The propitiation, God is satisfied. Is that rain? Maybe not. I guess this is the air conditioning. God is satisfied. We are in good standing with him. We are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. We are justified. The judge has declared us not guilty. And then we are reconciled. We're taken, one author said, taken out of the court of law and put into the family, the family living room, so to speak. We are reconciled. We're at peace with God. But all of this has been made possible only because of the price that Christ has paid. Only because of his substitutionary atonement. That we can rejoice in the fact that he has called us to himself and he allows us to become his children and to receive the blessings that he has for us. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll let you have a little bit of time for fellowship. Father, we thank you now that you took the initiative in sending Lord Jesus, to die on the cross in our stead. You took the initiative to redeem us. You paid the price and you are totally satisfied with the price that Christ paid on the cross. Thank you, Lord, that you, you have, again, you have restored uh, peace between the holy God and the sinner by this sacrifice, by this offering. Thank you now, Lord, for this time. Thank you for the service that's going to follow. And we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.